Hello and welcome to part two of series two of the Ood Cast. Huzzah! Hello! Whoopee! It's with Laura. Hello, everyone. Chris Alpha. Hello, everyone. Chris Sigma. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to use those, those nicknames, are we? Excellent. <laughs> and me, Andrew. Hello! Hello, Andrew. One uh, of us sounds like Frank Skinner, apparently. Which one is it? None yeah. of us are Northern. Yeah, spot, it's me. I sound like... I've never really heard Frank Skinner speak, so I've got no idea what I'm doing there. And, and once you've decided which of one of us sounds like Frank Skinner, we'd also like to know which one of us sounds like Simon Mayo. Uh, so <laughs> write in and let us know. It's me, Simon Mayo. Wow. No, I, again, I've never heard Simon Mayo. <laughs> they, they were brilliant. <laughs> it, I, um, for someone who's never heard Simon Mayo, that's a very good impression. It was mm. spot on. Mm. Thanks. Mm. Also, Thank Brian Blessed. Oh, so that's that special. <laughs> Laura sounds like Simon Mayo. And Brian Blessed. Yeah, <laughs> and Frank Skinner. And this week we've got something quite exciting. We've got a um, a big discussion about time travel and the laws of time. This comes from uh, a little chat that uh, that Chris Sigma and I had, Chris Mead and I had, about um, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff, as it's referred to by the Doctor. And uh, Chris wrote me... In response to our our brief chat, Chris wrote me a really long email laying out what he sees as the Time Lord's laws of time. And we thought it'd be great if we had a a chat about that this week. Yeah, we're going to have a massive geeking out session on time travel. Uh, Before I start, I just want to say that I understand that Doctor Who is a TV series, okay? (laughs) And I understand that the way things are the way they are on screen is because of budgets and just the writer wanting to do something that's really cool and i also understand that there's been sort of 50 plus writers of doctor who and they don't all go back and watch all each other's episodes and so there isn't a unified theory this exercise is just sort of an exercise for me in trying to make it all make sense uh, I know that it's just a television series, but I'm just having ah, a go you for apologist. fun. Get to the hard stuff. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how we're going to work this is I've pre-recorded the lecture, and then afterwards we can discuss any points that you think are wrong. Like a seminar. Like a seminar. <laughs> so anyone who thinks they've downloaded an entertainment podcast, uh, you're wrong. This is an educational programme. Can we go to the bar afterwards? They haven't heard the discussion yet. Don't assume too much. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah, we haven't done the discussion yet. Um, So, yes, a lecture on a fictional practice of (laughs) travelling in time. Hope you enjoy it. Can we construct a unified theory of time travel in the Doctor Who universe? It's a conundrum and an arresting one at that. For a series based around the central conceit of time travel, Doctor Who, particularly this new iteration, plays its cards surprisingly close to its chest where matters of temporal chronology are concerned. We all know Russell T Davis would rather tell a good story than get bogged down in the geeky nuts and bolts of it, and more power to him if that's how he feels, frankly. I'm not even sure I should be using the phrase geeky nuts and bolts. Sounds a bit... well... sordid. 
Anyway, the fact remains that I'm a Doctor Who fan, damn it. And for a lot of us, not all of us by any means, but a good percentage, the geeky nuts and bolts are not beside the point, rather, they are the point. Okay, perhaps that's overstating it slightly, but they are an integral part of the tissue of rarefied pleasures that make up the DNA of the show. So, with that in mind, and with every intention of arriving at a definitive answer at some point down the line, it is my great pleasure to present... Chris's Theory of Time Travel In the Doctor Who Universe now, I'll say up front that these laws don't apply to other fictional universes where time travel is possible, such as Back to the Future, Quantum Leap, The Terminator Milieu, some of the better Star Trek films, Goodnight Sweetheart, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, most Terry Gilliam films, The Time Traveller's Wife, and Jean-Claude Van Damme action classic, Time Cop. Time Cop. These guidelines are broken down into two laws. Well, one law and a really obvious statement, but stick with me for the sake of consistency. Right. First law. Time Lords time are lords creatures, are creatures of, time. of time. Wow. Incisive stuff, I'm sure you'll agree. Let me unpack this a bit for you so you can see why it's relevant. What I mean is this. Time is a Time Lord's natural habitat. They move through it as easy as a Silurian through water or a human through nitrous-rich air. It's natural for them. It's the way they're built. Witness the Doctor's extrasensory perceptions. In Fires of Pompeii, he says... Because that's how I see the universe. Every waking second I can see what is, what was, what could be, what must not. That's the burden of the time Lord Donna. He can literally see time in flux, respond to its ebbs and flows. He is aware of changes in time as keenly as we perceive changes in temperature or light. Also, long-time fans of the show will recognise that the TARDIS is less a vehicle and more an extension of the Doctor's physiognomy. He's not just a bloke with a time machine. To all intents and purposes, he is part time machine. The TARDIS in this case analogous to a set of gills or an exoskeleton, a physical outward manifestation of an evolutionary advantage. Now, this is all well and good, but how does it help us explain time travel? Well, consider the following. If we accept that it is a natural state of affairs for the Doctor to be travelling in time, then we can also accept that his personal timeline was never meant to be linear. Whereas we earthbound organisms were only ever meant to travel from A to B time-wise, the Doctor's personal history is more like a cosmic plate of spaghetti, all over the place basically. I'm not going to start saying words like wibbly and timey-wimey, but you get the idea. Whereas a human companion is being pulled out of their timeline when travelling in the TARDIS, the Doctor is merely fulfilling a function of his existence. The crucial point here, though, is that the Doctor can no more travel backwards through his personal timeline than we as a terrestrial-bound human can decide to visit last Tuesday. He may treat human history like a personal toy box to rummage through at will, but he's as powerless as anyone else to go back and change his own past. That's why he can't go back and save Adric or tell his fourth incarnation to touch those two wires together in Genesis of the Daleks and win the Time War without a shot being fired. The only time he can cross his own personal history is if he's played no active role in events, like in Father's Day, or if the producers want to do some sort of anniversary special, and even then the results can be devastating, either a rip in the fabric of time or a really rubbish episode. From a distance, it looks like the Doctor can go anywhere and see anything, but in actual fact, his travels cause time to coalesce around him, possibilities solidifying into certainties as he experiences them setting history in stone by his very presence. 
Once he's done that, there's no going back and changing it. But why is this the case? That's where the second law comes in. Second law. Gallifreyan mean time. So why can the Doctor change Earth's history and not his own? The theory I like involves a concept called Gallifreyan mean time. This states that the universe has an event horizon, a present day in effect that advances forward at a rate of one second per second, and before which no one can time travel anymore, or if they do, only to observe and take no active part. We can think of this present moment as a drop of water trickling down an infinitely complex maze of branching channels which represent from moment to moment every possibility and circumstance that could possibly arise. Ever. Whichever line the drop of water takes, that's the true history of the universe. All Time Lords, wherever they are in time and space, are creatures of this present moment. Even though they are all over the place, all over time and different incarnations, shot through the universe like a stick of rock, only one of those incarnations is ever the present Time Lord, the one able to make decisions and exercise free will. They carry this present moment within them, wield it like a torch, and it is this power that allows them to create fixed moments in time. In effect, it allows them to engineer the universe to turn out a certain way, by analysing all the possible futures and then fixing in place the one that they deem best for the universe as a whole like the Pyrovillian ship exploding in Pompeii or Bowie Base 1 exploding and inspiring human interstellar travel. Basically a lot of these moments are things exploding. These are the laws of time that the Doctor keeps referring to and he has been taught from a very young age that they are incontrovertible. The reason that Earth history can be changed is because, relatively speaking, the present day moment is actually still billions of years in the past, and Earth is actually just a probable future planet, made more probable, it must be assumed, by the amount of its future history that has been fixed in place by the Doctor and other time travellers. The only problem comes in the Shakespeare Code, where Martha and the Doctor have this discussion. The thing is though, am I missing something here? The world didn't end in 1599, it just didn't. Look at me, I'm living proof. Oh, how to explain the mechanics of the infinite temporal flux. I know. Back to the future. It's like Back to the Future. The film. No, the novelization. Yes, the film. Martin McFly goes back and changes history. And he starts fading away. Oh, my God, am I going to fade? You and the entire future of the human race. It ends right now in 1599 if we don't stop it. If this is truly the case, then what happens to all the fixed points in time from 1599 onwards? Points that require little things to be consistent, like, you know, there's still to be humans living on Earth. We have to conclude that fixed points in time are merely the way the universe wants it to play out, the way it will happen given half a chance, the true timeline. But a sufficiently catastrophic event will send that drop of water down a different channel, leaving the original timeline trapped in a spectral parallel dimension of maybes and never wers. On a side note, I doubt that Martha herself would fade away, as she has been taken out of linear time by the Doctor. She is part of his past, and that can't be changed. Everything he experiences must always exist, even if it's shut off from the main timeline like the dimension Rose eventually finds herself in. By the way, Gallifrey in meantime also explains why there is only ever one president of Gallifrey at any given moment, why the Doctor knows what time period to visit if he gets a distress signal from his own world, and why he only ever meets the Master one time after another in a linear order despite jumping between times and places. It also explains why there is only five Doctors to choose from at the time of the five Doctors, the five doctors. and not thirteen. Most of all, it explains why he can never see his own people again. 
Despite them all being time travellers, the event horizon of the present has passed by the destruction of Gallifrey, committing it to the past, and he can never go back there. Nor can anyone from there ever be in the same place as him at the same time. When Rassilon briefly escapes during the end of time, he's breaking every law in the known universe, and it is ultimately unsustainable. A jerry-rigged reality that collapses in on itself within moments. Massive Time Lord interventions aside though, the Doctor has to obey the second law of time travel just as surely as we have to obey the law of gravity. He can bend it, but he can't break it. There are some things that are lost to him forever. Chris is the in the Doctor Who universe. Right, questions? <laughs> well, f firstly, I think the makers of um, every hard-hitting documentary series on TV ought to pay attention to this. They should be covering this on BBC One in prime time. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, uh, I, I, I say thank you there because behind every great man there is a woman. <laughs> and um, I like to think that I have tested and inspired Chris in many ways, and I think that lecture was probably one of them. Um, I've got a few maybe poetic reflections on what Chris's time travel theory might mean. I like to think of the Doctor as a liver fluke. Now, if you don't know what a liver fluke is, it looks a little bit like a fried mushroom, and you tend to find them in abattoirs because that's the only time they emerge into the human eye. What they do is they crawl through the livers of cows, Usually the liver is a self-regenerating uh, organ. Regeneration. It'll yes, nice. it, yes, it'll grow to fill any space, which is why you can donate a piece of your liver to someone else and then they will eventually get a full liver as a result. Mm -hmm. There you go, organ donors, all sign on. Um, as they crawl through the liver, eating it away, they calcify the area behind them, leaving little calcified chalky tunnels through the liver that can then never be regenerated and never be reused. So that really that's how the doctor goes through time, like a liver eating fluky mushroom thing. Calcifying time around Calcifying, him and ensuring yeah. that no one else can go back and change it to any other way. Of course, if somebody hacks through the liver with a machete or a cleaver, then the whole possibility the possibilities are endless because then there's no more tunnels and there's probably half a fluke somewhere can you imagine that so the machete is like the catastrophic event i was talking about if you cut it off then it's all to play for again but if you do use if if you if it isn't cut off in that absolutely catastrophic machete way then you do have to play by what's come before with the damaged liver yes mm. wow that is probably the best anatomy stroke sci-fi series analogy i've ever heard i like to be of service <laughs> i i uh, i'm not sure how to follow that but the one thing that struck me during chris's amazing lecture chris was um the waters of mars where oh waters oh, of mars come on go. everyone <laughs> fight fight oh, fight, oh, fight. Oh, oh, <laughs> um okay so uh, you were talking about how if you really want to change a fixed point, they're not fixed points as in they are predetermined within nature, but they are fixed points that the time laws determine must happen to enable um, the, the best possible future for the universe. My assertion is that they've made a judgment call that this is the best and they have fixed it in place. Mm. Uh, 
by perhaps visiting it or maybe just observing it remotely so they don't play any part in the events but have sort of fixed it somehow. Right, so they're, they're like sort of policemen somehow? Well, they're arbiters of the universe. I mean, they've. I think, I think there's a lot sort of in the series about it being a bit pompous and a little bit sort of arrogant to, that they've given they've assumed that mantle of lords of time i think we there's somewhere in the series that there's not all gallifreyans are time lords is that right that uh, that you have to ascend to that, that is right as well but then I, I i'm not sure about the time lords making a judgment call except i don't know there there is it, you have to then kind of work out what the purpose of the existence of the guardians of time are so mm. if, and, uh, for people who don't know there are the, there's the white guardian and the black guardian and during, I know certainly during the fifth Doctor, so Peter Davison, the Black Guardian tried to use Turlow to try and destroy the Doctor. Is Turlow a kind of meat alternative? <laughs> it, so, it sounds like it could be. Yeah, it was. It was the Doctor, Turlow, and he, Corn. He's the vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> the vegetarian alternative to the the liver Doctor. <gasps> no, not really, listeners. But it, the, the the Guardians of Time appear to be sort of like a I don't know, like an NSA of time lord culture only the high council of time lords knew about their existence to start with and then you've got the bouncers which are the reapers yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes yes indeed. or the bailiffs um but going back to my point i think i had a point and the point was about the waters of mars so um if the if the if the doctor um realizes that the bowie base on mars exploding is a fixed point in time which enables the human race or, or sparks the human race off onto its journey into outer space then he realizes that by saving captain brooks life he's actually destroying the route out into space or potentially destroying That's the, pos right. the possibility that the human race will go into space does he know that they'll still go out into space I don't, I, what I said in my lecture was the laws of time, are, are, I mean, he's, they've been drummed into, you can imagine the young doctor, you know, it's like a basic tenant of Time Lord society. Tenant. Ha ha. Hey. Uh, woo. Hey, and and speaking of ha ha woo, Bowie base is their life on Mars. <laughs> yeah, check it out. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's something like he's never questioned. And as he walks away, I mean, it's something that's so intrinsic to who he is, this teaching that you can't change the laws of time. But as he walks away and in that brilliant scene that you said you loved, where all that sort of mayhem and death and destruction is, is sort of happening behind him, he just, it's like a road to Damascus moment. Like, who says that we can't do this anymore? I'm the only one left. Mm. I am the Lord of time now and I can do whatever I want. I can re-engineer times to make sure that the human race still happens the way it does and I can save these people. And everything that I've been told by my masters and the authority, you know, the figures of, of Gallifrey, they don't apply to me anymore. I'm the last one left. Mm. Um, and it's a very, um, it's a powerful moment because you've got all the laws that he's grown up with and had drummed into him, as you say, Chris. But he's also got his very powerful sense of right and wrong and uh, an instinct to save people and uh, to be, um, a, 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 I don't know, a sort of a, a doctor, in fact. He makes people better. If he can save someone, he really wants to do that. And he chooses to save Captain Brooke over um, the possibility that he might mess up the human race's development, uh, which is a 
a, you know, it's a powerful story, a powerful character story. And then what I was also saying is that there is also the force of time itself, which will try and follow the path that's mapped out by the fixed points. So the reason that she shoots herself in the end is time finding a way to follow the path that it yeah. always would have. So the question is, um, therefore, if the laws of time are, um, are, are not... Time Lord based. Yeah, are, are, and then there's are, another... Basically, um, what the Time Lords think should happen. But you're saying that time itself uh, um, struggles... Uh, to maintain what it thinks the flow should be. I think it's a natural thing that you choose the path of least resistance. And I think these fixed points that the time world has created create a path of least resistance in the same way as digging, like uh, ah. a, a sort of diverting a river or something. It's still natural mm. that the water takes that path. Yeah. But the, the reason time that it's help it. Yeah, that has uh. been dug by ah. a man made. But what if there is an oxbow lake? Along the path of time. Hmm? Mm. Well, there are oxbow lakes, and that's like the dimensions that Rose gets stuck uh, in. Gets stuck in that yeah, have been completely yeah. cut off from the time stream. Like a kind of Castrovalva, maybe. <laughs> just because um, you've seen Castrovalva <laughs> yeah. now, you thought okay, you'd drop yeah, that in. Yeah, yeah I, d- I just did. I've got another. <laughs> I got another maybe uh, literary reference to the theory of time. Um, with regard to how the Doctor sees time. I think the doctor sees every day uh, in a kind of almost, you know, when you take off your glasses when you're in the a 3D movie. And I do know that. Yeah. You yeah, see I've one Im- image overlaid movie. over the other. You see a palimpsest basically of what is and what you what what you can see with one eye and what you can see with another. Maybe the doctor sees multiple versions of reality overlaid one on top of the other. I with do. How I think every he, second he could see, develop. Mm. You'd imagine that he'd be completely and utterly crippled by that. Yeah, but his brain is about a billion times more complex than ours, so he can handle that. Yeah, but even with that, oh God, you wouldn't even want to move. I'd just sit in the corner of a room and gibber to myself. But also, I would imagine when he when he meets a particular individual, I don't know if anybody's read Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Number no. 5. Okay. It's one of my yeah. favourite novels of all time. Kel Surprise. Everybody mm. has read it. <laughs> in that there's a character who can see people he when he sees people they look like a crazy sort of caterpillar thing or they look like one of those evolution of man posters where he can see everything that they have been and everything that they will become as they move through life so presumably as the doctor alters individuals destinies he can kind of see the road the path that they're heading off to on. some extent i think I, I i don't think he has complete he can see completely into the future. I think he, he definitely has a sense of the momentum of where where they time could take them. But if he knew everything, then he'd be able to preempt any mm. anything that any sort of enemy did. So he wouldn't screw up Martha's life or have Adric die or marry Lala Ward or things like that. <laughs> 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 to oh to oh be dear. fair, that's one thing that the, the thought that went through my mind when you mentioned Adric was I'm not sure anyone would want him <laughs> to go back and save Adric. Yes. Can I stick up for Adric? I, f- I liked Adric. No, it was you the can't. Is it it was the <laughs> laws of time. <laughs> what I quite like is, uh, this is a, a bit of a sidebar, is obviously Adric is the last word that the fifth doctor <coughs> says before he regenerates. And that could be quite sort of poetic, I guess, that it's his one regret mm. as he moves on to a next mm. life. But the way he says it is... <laughs> Adric? It's like, Adric? <laughs> like, what are you? Why am I thinking about you? I'm regenerating. <laughs> and that's brilliant. Sorry. Uh, and uh, just another quick sidebar. 
Laura and I have seen the 3D version of the Doctor <gasps> Who trailer. Go on, go on. What, what, what? Oh, it were good. Yeah, it was very good. Is it more impressive than it is on the telly? Yes. yes. It's quite flat on the telly. It's exciting, <laughs> but it's a bit... <laughs> it's yeah, yeah it Well, I mean, I suppose it would be comparatively, but what's it like, though? I nearly walked out of the film afterwards because I felt I didn't really want to see Alice in Wonderland. I just wanted to see the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I got up, but Laura pulled it's me back down trailer. again. He's lying. He's lying. Alice in Wonderland is great, by the way. Go and see it, guys. Um, what was I going to say? I really enjoyed it. I mean, of course, I was watching it without the sort of the terror of the unknown that you get when you see something for the first time. But just visually, oh, it was so cool. I did think that the time vortex still looks like soapy water going down a plug hole. But it was wicked. Yeah, and the new production team in the latest issue of Doctor Who magazine have said that they're going for a more fairy tale, more Burton-esque twilighty mm. kind of aesthetic and that's been had some controversy surrounding it but you can see in that trailer certainly the Burton-esque cap sort of uh, flavour to it and obviously we then watched a Tim Burton film mm. uh, to directly compare it and yes there is definitely something of that sort of wonky dark gothic fairy tale about mm. the new aesthetic. See I'm not, I'm not sure why that would be controversial they want to go to a more fairy tale kind of feel to it because that feels right and it's also it fits in with early earlier series of doctor who before rtd's new invention i think such as the first and second doctors i think had quite an interesting well it was new and it was very unusual and it was a nice to be honest that's quite a fairy tale idea mm. to me, have somebody just yeah appear. i completely agree with you there i, th I thought that's what you were going to say when i went yeah. such as because oh, well. you've got um I think that I mean I got hold of the beginnings box set, which is the very first three Doctor Who stories ever, ever from 1963, 64, and they are I don't want to say surprisingly good because that sounds patronising, but they are um, surprisingly good. They are brilliant. <laughs> I mean, they're they're you you can tell they were groundbreaking, but even today they're very strong, striking uh, stories that. Sometimes you try and take your breath away and make you go, Whoa, what's going to happen next? You don't feel safe when you're watching them. And then you get into um, further adventures and, you know, with, with Patrick Troughton, the monster years. And it's all very sort of, um, oh, what was that? Um, th there was an interview in Doctor Who magazine this month with one of the script editors from the 60s. Donald Tosh, I think his name is. And he says, um, <laughs> there we are, Chris, the Foss has, has just it opened was Donald it. Tosh. Donald yes. Tosh. And he says he always thought of Doctor Who as being every child's favourite nightmare. And I think that's a great... Uh, th that encapsulates Doctor Who really well for me because it's, it's all about the scary, unknown stuff and dealing with it and uh, a flamboyant character who is able to cut through the scary stuff and take you to a point of safety. I, I do have a point to go back to with your lecture, if I'm allowed to go back to your lecture. Yeah, let's um, get back on track. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the Time Lords being creatures of time which I'm not sure about because everything I've read and seen before has sort of indicated that th they are a, a highly sophisticated civilization that developed or perfected time travel technology very early on in their development. Not that they grew up as uh, kind of came into existence as part of time. I well, obviously they did because everything does. And now I'm going to talk myself into a hole. Carry on. No, I think it's a good point. But I see evolution um, having... Uh, certainly even with the human race, actually, evolution has now crossed over from being an organic principle to being a mm. technological one. The way that we're evolving now is that we are able to create 
things that allow us to fly and allow us to travel great distances. I think evolution has, we, you know, we, we've augmented ourselves technologically. So I think the time will leap from normal Gallifreyan to become a, a creature of time, even though it is artificial in that sense, can still be seen as an evolutionary step forwards. That would be my theory I there. But what about them making all the kiddies look in the time vortex? Does that not change like your brain chemistry and all that craziness? Okay, so it's part technological and part biological. I guess it depends on what series you're looking at, really, because if you're looking at the new Doctors, then they're very much, they have kind of time flowing through them like blood, really, don't they? They're sort of, that's what is explicitly being done to them when they're little. They're looking into the time vortex and it's this kind of almost absorbing part of it and then becoming part of it themselves. Like midi-chlorians. <laughs> no, we are not going <laughs> to talk about midi-chlorians. <laughs> but if you look at the older series, then it's not quite often, they're not connected to the TARDIS in the same way. Like I think it's a point you sort of started to make. Um, they, they kind of stumble around a bit like a tourist on a on a mystery bus tour. Sometimes <laughs> they've sort of they've nicked this fantastic box that's taken them somewhere they don't know. Um, whereas this time, the Doctor seems to be able to sense everything that's going on, and before, not necessarily the same. It was more of a kind of so traditional spaceship time type. So of as thing. the Doctor goes through regenerations, he will bind himself more and more with the TARDIS until it's like. Half man, half machine. What does it mean? But will, when William Hartnell regenerated into Patrick Troughton, if I can just reveal an extra layer of geekiness that you may have feared was there. Geek jingle. <laughs> yeah. The TARDIS um, helped him to regenerate. In many ways, it's part of me. Ah, that's right back. That's canonical, mm. right back to first to second. Mm. Have at you, Chris Foster. Yeah, but if that's true, then why does that not be any clearer through the rest of the? Because the, the writers not... forgot about it straight <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put an end to our discussion at this point because I realise that this is the geekiest episode we've ever done, and I apologise if it's not quite as interesting. Next week we'll have. Some more silly sketches that I, are... I had one very geeky point. Oh, oh, Chris has one more geeky point. There is a, I, I don't know whether this agrees with what you were saying or whether it kind of disproves a bit what you're saying about the Gallifreyan meantime and about it being the reason there is only five Doctors to choose from in the five Doctors. How does that then explain what happens at the end of the brain of Morbius? Yeah, well, everyone's <laughs> disassociated themselves because that was just all the different... But, uh, Chris has got a point, I think. He's bursting to say something. Okay, sorry. No, no, I was just... Uh, because at the end, I was going to explain it because I don't want to sort of just throw out random story titles and... Yeah, and Brain of Morbius. Uh, the Brain of Morbius is, a, is a, um, a another renegade Time Lord that has stolen things and run away, basically. He uses his powers or knowledge of time for very bad things and does experiments. <laughs> And basically, he has a battle of wills against the Doctor at the end of the story. And he forces the Doctor to kind of show all his previous lives on a screen as part of the, the, the battle. And that shows something like 10 or 13, doesn't it? It is hilarious. And, and all the photos are just like the key grip and the best boy <laughs> and the person that brings the tea. And yeah. it's all these sort of really sort of 70s, 80s looking men done up in cravats and big hats yeah. and, and the, monst <laughs> the monster he's fighting is a bit like a, a man in a in a partial Frankenstein outfit but with a goldfish bowl on his head which is a, oh a fantastic oh my good lord so anyway your point is 
He's had lots of incarnations, ah. not just five. No, my point is, does that does that mean that that story would be further on in his timeline? Ooh. I mean, it could well mean that. Uh, well, the, 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 qu- the, the question is that, the, that arises from the Battle of Wills, uh, the images on the screen is that they, <clears throat> that it goes back uh, through John Pertwee, Patrick Trout and William Hartnell, or Null, and then there's like three or four others before William Hartnell. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's, that's the problem. There are these doctors, the regenerations apparently before William Hartnell, and then, then the production team was like, oh, no, no, no. Um, I'm going to... Is it Occam's razor this? The, mm-hmm. the simplest mm-hmm. uh, answer is normally the right one. The simplest one is that during the Battle of the Wheels, the Doctor manufactured some past incarnations yeah. that haven't really existed to, just to confuse. To confuse Morbius. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. you go. Pow. Solved. <laughs> oh, Chris, you're brilliant. Wham, bam. Thank you, Chris. So I'm going to draw a veil over this discussion. It would be great if any listeners who are as geeky as we are would like to send in any comments or challenges on what we've said, there's various ways to contact us. Oodcast at me.com is our email address. We are on Facebook, although we don't have a set Facebook URL yet. But if you search for The Oodcast on Facebook, that will come up. And finally, we are on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash The Oodcast, all one word, all lowercase. So we would love to hear your comments on any of those means and we will read them out next week. Also, if you've got any pictures of liver flukes, send those. (laughs) To Laura, because I don't want to see a liver fluke, I don't think. Ever. Ever. Next week, I think we may have to come up with a sketch on the lines of uh, Doctor Who and the uh, bovine parasite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we definitely have to. uh, I have a challenge for next week. I want all, all of you guys to bring your top three Doctor Who quotes because I think there's been some brilliant bits of writing, some brilliant speeches written within Doctor Who. And I think it'd be really nice just to share what we think is the top flight writing, the top three Doctor Who quotes. doesn't have to be by the Doctor himself, although it probably will be, because he gets all the best lines. So we agreed. All right. Yeah, bring that back that. yeah that's that. lovely. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you're enjoying season two in general and the new look and feel and everything. Uh, And we will see you next week. Bye. 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 When I meet the doctor, once I prove my worth, and then I meet the doctor.